All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 144. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to hear from you. So if you'd like to talk college football and whatever topic you'd like, just hit request. You got to use the Twitter app. It's easy. It's in the bottom left corner. You can hit request and we'll get to you and we'll hear what your thoughts are. But it's Tuesday night, as usual. We're getting closer and closer to the season. And I know we've got media days coming up next month. They've all kind of clustered together over the years. They're all kind of mostly in the middle. But let's talk about some of the things that are going on this week and anything you'd like to talk about. If you'd like to join, just hit request. You know, one of the things that, that came up today, and I guess we've entered a new era, uh, and I say this lightly, Conference USA has apparently dropped the hyphen in their acronym. They used to be kind of C-USA and everything, but apparently the major branding updates, they released a tweet on Conference USA saying RIP hyphen 1995 to 2023. So there you go. There's your, <laughs> there's your big news of the morning. Um, let's see here. I see we got Thak who wants to join in. I'm going to go ahead and let you up. You know, another interesting story, too, and this one, I found this amusing. Matt Brown of Extra Points, because there's more than one Matt Brown who does reporting in college football. He loves to dig through coaching contracts, and one of those that he dug up this morning, apparently Iowa State's Matt Campbell would owe $4 million if he terminates his contract. That, you know, that's not unusual. It's a kind of a way to prevent a coach from potentially bailing for a better job. But, you know, and, and obviously boosters will pay those if the big enough school wants a person. But... The flip side of that is if Iowa State ever increases their academic admission standards, so if they make it harder for him to recruit players kind of getting closer to sort of a Stanford or, you know, Rice situation, then the, the buyout drops to zero dollars and he could just leave. So it was kind of an interesting one. I mean, people were trying to figure out what the rationale might be. Probably my favorite was actually the original poster, um, uh, Iowa State fan cooling vent. <laughs> Matt Campbell put, we ain't come here to play school in a contract, and the AD just kind of went with it. So, I don't know. That one That one definitely gave me a bit of a chuckle today. So, uh, anywho. Hey, Thak, what's going on? What's on your mind? Oh, man, it's uh, it's been good. I can feel the season inching closer and closer every day. Uh, fascinating, crazy news coming out. SEC 2024 schedules uh, were f- notably... We are finally getting the the uh, the much uh, anticipated return of Texas and Texas A and M at Kyle Field in 2024. As a football fan, I am extraordinarily excited. Uh, as a person not from Texas, I'm a little bit less excited, but nonetheless, uh, a major major highlight. I, I think the SEC did a wonderful job, despite the uh, despite the only the eight game. Uh, season getting voted of keeping uh, good rivalries uh, and great, great games. 2024 is going to be shaped up for a exciting television year for the SEC and exciting football year for the SEC. What are your, what are your thoughts about? Oh, I agree with you. I think that first game and maybe that first series of games, I think when they both get to host, each other that seeing the return even i'm not a i mean i'm not from texas i'm not i didn't go to either school but it's exciting to see texas and texas a&m coming back in 2024 i think that's going to be a big hit it'll be uh it'll be interesting i'm also glad to see you know i mean when they announced that uh 2024 schedule in the sec you know there was no surprise there but of course oklahoma and texas will still play on a neutral site so that keeps the tradition 
um, between them. So I think it's exciting. I, I, I'm I'm hyped for it. I think it'll be it'll be really interesting to see because you know you'll have the Texas fans, and they, don't get me wrong, I love I like both fan bases. There's not a fan base I particularly dislike. So. But I mean, I, I everyone's gonna look forward to watching the Texas A&M fan reaction because every time they react to something, it's always interesting. They're passionate, and passionate fans make for absolute entertainment. So if they manage to knock Texas down, that's gonna be you know I can't even imagine what the response is gonna be. But if there's some kind of you know if gosh if Texas A&M does one of those where they get in the lead and then collapse at the final second, oh my goodness, it would just be like old times, and I can't even imagine. Like it's win-win. I actually like I, I look forward to seeing exactly how that goes. So I'm looking forward to seeing that 2024 re- I me mean, return of a one of college football's great rivalries, Texas versus Texas A&M. Um, you know, <laughs> you know what other items have caught your mind back? Oh, you know, you might know what uh, what I'm going towards. Of course, the massive, uh, possibly quite hilarious blow up of uh, SDSU uh, and the uh, the Mountain West. Uh, SDSU looks like they had thought they might have been moving to the Pac-12. Pac-12 then came out. Uh, I don't know if they came out specifically and said, but uh, it was in the news that the Pac-12 was not inviting anybody towards their conference until the media rights deal was done, and now. It looks like the media rights deal is not going to be done until June of this year. Uh, Meanwhile, SDSU, it appears, had already told the Mountain West they were leaving, and now the Mountain West is telling them to kick rocks uh, with with not letting them. It's a funny situation because there's there's actually – and the reason this is all happening now, it I noticed this was – some writers had noticed this a couple of uh, months ago um, because this is a situation – Pac-12, as we know, no one is entirely sure what's going on. Klyovkov is either a genius or we'll find out, you know, otherwise. But no one's entirely sure what's going on with that media rights deal other than the fact that it's taking so long. And everything, so many things are hinging on it. Like whether or not some of the teams might go to the Big 12. Because the Big 12 knows what the money they're getting there. Your mark is super aggressive. I have no doubt. He's he's I mean, it's been pretty open that they are uh, trying to attract Colorado and and potentially uh, the rest of those border schools in the Pac-12. Now, meanwhile, uh, Pac-12 has made some comments that they would be very much interested in San Diego State and SMU. Well, SMU will set them aside. They're they're in a a freer situation. The big problem has actually been San Diego State had an, an existing agreement with the Mountain West that they had created apparently in 2021. Where up until literally the day, the deadline from April 2021 that they wrote into this deal comes up on June 30th. Up to June 30th, they owe, I believe, three times their payout to, to leave the conference, which is, is a significant amount of money, but it apparently gets even bigger once June 30th passes. So you can now see the problem. The Pac-12 has said we won't allow any, we won't invite any more teams until we've got our media rights deal, which has been delayed, delayed, delayed. Um, presidents of the Pac-12 have said, oh, it's coming up next month, and then it never comes up. You know, we, we don't know when it's happening, presumably this summer. But the problem is San Diego State is looking at this deadline, and they basically – and it's a fascinating situation. The way they did it is a kind of – and I remember um, one of the tweets that got dropped on RCFB was uh, uh, Thamel over at uh, uh, ESPN. 
you know, they wrote a notice that the school intends to resign from the Mountain West is, is how it was phrased. But at the same time, they're saying like, oh, we're not actually officially resigning yet. We just want to let you know. Oh, and by the way, could we get an extension on this deadline to next month? <laughs> you know, as you know, one of the, the, the comparisons that someone drew in um, drew on the RCFB quote was like, you know, I think, yes, this uh, USF fan next door nicotine. It reminds me of my high school girlfriend. I'm breaking up with you, but I will still be upset if you look at other girls unless I find a new boyfriend first. So uh, that's kind of what's going on right now in San Diego State. They were, I, you kind of, I mean, I, end, I, I sympathize with San Diego State because they've been put in a really tough position. They clearly want to leave. And this isn't the first time for them. I mean, I'm old enough to remember that. And it happened for a hot minute. Back when, you know, conference realignment was happening again a little over 10 years ago, when San Diego State and Boise State in a Hail Mary bid for survival by the Big East after they lost key teams to the ACC and the Big 12, they invited and were and Boise State and San Diego State accepted, you know, to join what now became well, they became the American after this, but what was still called the Big East. Because, you know, I mean, San Diego State, San Diego is east of the Pacific Ocean. So, I mean, hey, you know, um, but they uh, they at the last second that collapsed. So and actually TCU is part of this as well, I should say, before they ended up joining the Big 12. So what ended up happening was Boise State apparently had not left, at least departed at the level San Diego State had left yet. And Boise State at the time was still the prime member of the Mountain West in terms of, of uh, high profile along with Utah, which had already left, and, and TCU. Well, when they all were trying to return to the big, probably to the Mountain West, it was noted that Boise State actually helped San Diego State get back in and tried to not make it a rough patch. Here we are all these years later, and San Diego State wants to join that Pac-12. They're planning to join it. Pac-12 is taking too long. And there you have it. So it is just it is just a cluster right now. And again, the reports that came out um, that came out today, uh, again from Pete Thamel, was that sources say the Mountain West Conference sent an additional letter to San Diego State last Friday, informing them that at this time they will not approve any exceptions that they requested. Um, so they will not be there will not be an additional month before their departure. There will not be a reduced exit fee or the ability to pay out the exit fee in installments. Basically, they said, you know, uh, <laughs> one of our one of our moderators at RCFB, uh, Big Dick Witt, who uh, I he and I get along quite a bit. We have a bit of a background in the same area. I've obtained a copy of the letter from my sources. It says, "F you, pay me." So uh, that is that is the Mountain West's response to San Diego State at this time. You know, we have a couple of people that want to come up. One person drop. If you want to join, just add again. But I'm going to add you SC Superman on 1999. Gamecock Superman, it's been a while. What's going on? How's it going? Uh, you know, just trying to get through the offseason here. But uh, this, this situation with the Pac-12 is definitely uh, interesting to me. And since, uh, you know, you're more of a Pac-12 guy, I'm sort of wondering, from your perspective, does adding these programs like San Diego State, Boise, maybe UNLV, does that really like increase the Pac-12 media rights deal that much? Because 
in my view, those don't seem to be gigantic brands. I mean, even if you added all three, UNLV, Boise, and San Diego State, it still wouldn't be as big. Like, it wouldn't add as much value as what you're losing, right? So I'm sort of wondering, from your perspective, if the uh, new Pac-12 media rights deal, from what you've heard, can save the conference from having, you know, the, the bigger players that are still left, like the Washington, like the Oregon, like even Utah, if, you know, the numbers that are being discussed can save it? You know, that's a, it's a, it's a good question. And so what, the way to frame it is, you know, they've lost two huge members. They lost USC and UCLA. They lost basically Southern California because, as I've said before, years and years ago, I went to what was the San Diego Sports Hall of Fame and USC was more prominently featured than any school. And like San Diego State was also there, but kind of like a side kiosk or, or something like that. So all of that said, when we're looking at conference growth, we really have to look at two things. Can the university keep up athletically with the other teams, at least paying for facilities? And more importantly is TV markets. So, um, and the reason I, I put both of those in, I'll get to in a second, because if we want to look historically, that's why the Big Ten added Rutgers. I mean, ac- you know, academically, they're, they're decent. They're the prime state university of, of New Jersey. But at the same time, I mean, you know, athletics, other than inventing college football, they're on the field, has not ever been their strength. Um, but at the same time, you're purportedly bringing in the New York market. Now, whether how accurate that is, is, is up for debate, but certainly that's what made them attractive to the Big Ten. Now, when we're talking what's going on with the Pac-12, the Pac-12 and Big 12, at least some of the presidents even with it, presidents within those institutions have said, you know, more or less like, look, we know we're competing for second place right now. Uh, second tier, I should say, because the Big Ten and the SEC have just run away. There's no way the teams that are left can probably can, can somehow band together and necessarily compete with the teams that have departed, unless somehow you lure like Notre Dame to join, which, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll set fantasy aside for a second there. Um, so with the, the remaining teams in the Big 12 and Pac-12, they're trying to cobble together, you know, something respectable. So as far as the Pac-12 strategy, they're trying to come to get, come up with some, it seems like they've got an interesting approach to this. I don't know. I assume they're talking when they're trying to negotiate media deals. Hey, we're planning to add these other people, but they're trying to compete with the numbers that are coming up from the Big 12. And the Big 12, of course, they've put up, I think it was like 31.7, some million dollar payout like that. Um, the Pac-12 isn't necessarily trying to beat it by that much. They're just trying to keep it in the same neighborhood so that there isn't any you know, real desire for teams that might not want to leave to leave. I mean, the U.S. and UCLA left because they just felt like they could get more money and they got an incredible amount of more money. I think if in some alternate universe, if um, Larry Scott had made the Pac-12 more desirable in some of his his schemes, um, they, they would not have necessarily left. But overall, after all of those years and seeing the projections for how little money they were going to get, that was why those two bailed. So meanwhile, jumping back to the argument for like why Big Ten took Rutgers, now if you're the Pac-12, you're looking at what schools can you bring in that will bring in the biggest TV markets. That, in a way, hurts... The chances of Boise State hurts the chances of Fresno State hurts the chances of you to a lesser extent UNLV, but really does a great job for San Diego State. San Diego is a huge city, but at the same time, 
it's close enough that they somehow get back into the Southern California market, which is an enormous amount of people. I mean, the city of L.A., I mean, I always like to talk to people, the city of L.A., when you add its metropolitan area, is bigger than the combined populations of Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. It's a lot of people live in that area. So meanwhile, um, that's why SMU is the other one that everyone seems to be pointing at. I mean, Klyovkov went and visited SMU. There's this fun article that John Canzano had uh, that was posted on RCFB today that there's apparently um, uh, SMU is pro- promising to cover uh, a conference exit fee or there's promises, pardon me, to cover conference exit fees and, and get that team out into the pack. Because, again, at that point, you've got the Metroplex. Now, going back to the whole the, the second part of that is not just what market you're in is whether or not you can you know, compete on the same level and put the money into sports. San Diego State has been making a lot of inroads in that. And SMU, for anyone who knows the school, knows how exactly how wealthy they are. Um, they have a very, very moneyed um, alumni base. And one of my favorite comments that, that still gets brought up and, and was brought up in the same discussion about uh, the current situation at SMU was, uh, you know, Hurricane Hendrick, the way he wrote it, I'll still never laugh. I'll still never not laugh at the comment that once SMU realizes it's legal to pay players, everyone is screwed. Um, so, I mean, those are two. And the reason I bring that up is that's why, for example, Rice isn't in the conversation. Rice is in Houston, huge market, but they're just never going to try and compete on the same level in sports. At least it's not convinced. They haven't done enough to convince, you know, a, t- a program, a, pardon me, a conference like the Pac-12 that they'd be able to pull their weight. SMU has. It, it's certainly... Sonny Dykes built some good programs there and then obviously walked over to TSU and we saw how far he got this last season. So when that, those are the reasons. Now, whether they're going to save the Pac-12, they would help the Pac-12. I, I, save is, I, would they return to being a top uh, conference? I think we're about to see, and I think it's not a controversial statement, that we're going to see kind of three tiers basically forming. We have Big Ten, SEC, which are going to be just earning so much money that it's just not fair to even put those other conferences against them. And then you're going to have that next tier, which is Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC to some level between them. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to even out because sometimes these TV deals, you know, they aren't all negotiated in the same year as each other. And then you'll have the, the G5 and maybe some of those G5, I don't think they'll be able to still climb up to compete with with the, you know, the current P5, but at least, you know, it's it's going to still keep some separation in those tiers. So that was a long-winded answer to that question because it is interesting. I mean, what, what would save the Pac-12? I mean, what, I think at this point they're just trying to keep themselves together and keep on the same level where they wouldn't be actively poached by the Big 12. Well, yeah, I mean, the next question for me then becomes you, you look at a conference like the, the ACC, the situation they're having with Miami, Florida State, and Clemson, you know, these programs that – you know, are the main viewership draw within college football, within the ACC, are saying, hey, you know, we don't think it's fair that we're the ones generating most of the, uh, you know, TV marketability for this conference and we're not getting, like, we're getting the same amount as Wake Forest or Syracuse, right? So the question then becomes, if you're, the AD at Oregon or you're the AD at Wazoo, right? Wazoo to a lesser degree than Oregon. Do you go, you know, in order for us to stay in the Pac-12, we're going to need, you know, extra money that the other schools aren't going to get because, 
you know, it's obvious that we're the ones that are generating the most marketability for, for what's left of the, the Pac-12 conference. Do, do you see, you know, any potential for, you know, that to be a problem where, where the Pac-12 as a conference is going to have to throw, you know, some more bones to Oregon and Wazoo to keep them there yeah. so that they don't leave? Well, I'll just say Washington's the school that, that would, would leave. Wazoo and Oregon State are the two that are just sort of watching this this whole situation with horror. Um, because no, they, they're the two that are going to get left behind, no matter what. It's, it's unfortunate. I, I love Wazoo. I've been to that. It's a fun place to be at, but it is literally in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's a weird twin town in the middle of nowhere because just 10 minutes away is University of Idaho. Um, just across the border, people think it's some people mistake Wazoo for being in Pullman, probably for being in Spokane, but it's in uh, a smaller town called Pullman. But yeah, no, uh, Washington and, and Oregon might might want that. And they, they certainly look are looking longingly at the Big Ten right now. Um, the ACC is such an interesting situation, only because we've talked about it a little bit. Florida State kind of kicked off a, a sort of a, a rocky couple of months there because in February, Excuse me. The athletic director addressed their uh, their equivalent of the board of regents, board of trustees. I always forget what each school calls it, and basically said, like, look, it's going to cost because they have this thing called the grant of rights deal that they've created that they always like to refer to as GOR. They have this deal where basically they were locked in with a one hundred and twenty million dollars, something like that, payout. So they they can't just walk out of the conference and and all between all these universities apparently because. You, it's not just uh, you know Clemson and and Miami are, are definitely the higher profile teams, but also North Carolina and Virginia have apparently been not entirely thrilled with the situation and, and realizing that maybe there's there's um, greener grass is available to them in, in those two mega conferences we keep talking about. But between all of them and all of their lawyers, they realized they had all hired really good lawyers to write that original grant of rights deal, and no one could figure out a way out of it. It sounds like it, they're all basically stuck in this. Um, and maybe one of them will pull a trigger, which seems really crazy, and pay $120 million plus to get out of that conference. But they're all pretty much stuck. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, we always see these articles. Uh, we've started to see these articles in the last several months, but. You know, Virginia, North Carolina are actually pretty attractive targets in addition to those other three more football forward um, conferences because Virginia and North Carolina both have very academically respectable programs. They're, uh, you know, as universities, they would be a natural fit for the Big Ten, say, and they would suddenly bring in a market that they're not already in, which kind of goes back to what makes a university attractive to a program, to a, to a conference, and then you know Georgia Tech would also be certainly uh, uh, attractive for. They'd be like Rutgers. I mean, okay, if win or lose on the football field, you're suddenly bringing in Atlanta into the Big Ten. Though I'm not saying that's going to happen anytime soon, but those are the. There's certainly a lot of that going on when people are kind of eyeballing the ACC. But really, the summary the summary for the ACC right now is they've created such a good, um, such a good <laughs> contract that they're all stuck for now. Uh, until one of them decides to pull the trigger. Now, um, gosh, this covered so many different topics here. Going back to the Pac-12, and and uh, and by the way, I should say the ACC also that came up. Florida State said, I believe it was mentioned at that same uh, February meeting that their athletic director was frustrated that they were making less per year than Vanderbilt because of the money Vanderbilt was going to start getting out of the SEC. So they do want a bit of an asymmetrical payout where – they're hoping that they'll get a little bit more, and it sounds like there is some amenability in the ACC. However, it wouldn't necessarily 
cause uh, you know Florida State, Clemson to to rise in income anywhere near those two super conferences out there. However, it might cool some of the tension. I mean, we've seen that before. The Big Twelve uh, famously was giving Texas a bigger share of everything. That was a big, that was a big stumbling block when, again, years ago. Uh, the Pac-10, before it even became a Pac-12, was trying to bring in... Actually, I think they had just become a Pac-12, was trying to bring in Texas and uh, Oklahoma along with two other teams, and it just never worked out. Part of the stumbling block was reportedly how to deal with the Longhorn Network, how to deal with the things that gave Texas an uneven push. And that was, again, that was part of what caused the animosity for USC and UCLA, which pulled in the vast... Uh, you know, the numbers were, were strongly in favor of giving them a, a larger uh, piece of the pie in the Pac-12. And even then, with the TV media deal they were getting, it still wasn't going to match probably what they were getting from joining the Big Ten. But you brought up so much. I mean, <laughs> it's a complicated topic, most certainly. But uh, I think that's that. those are the factors going into all of it. And I think if, if I were to guess, and, and part of the reason why, and, and again, as we know, the Big Ten switched commissioners and all of this, because the, their commission, the outgoing commissioner wanted to still add more teams. And by all reports, the Big Ten presidents were like, okay, let's slow down. Let's just slow down, get used to having USC and UCLA on the team. Although, if the ACC were to somehow come apart, I guarantee you a lot of conference presidents would be like, okay, all right, no, let's come together and see what we can who we can poach from that conference, but they're locked together. So that's why we see most of the conversation surrounding what's going to happen. As I like to say in this knife fight that we're all waiting to see erupt between They're They're still dancing around a circle. Each of them has their knife drawn. They each want to stab the other, but we still, it's been months and the big, big 12 and pac 12 just haven't decided to actually start it yet. And we're all waiting to see what's going to happen there. <clears throat> so, um, Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I appreciate your comments on that. Um, you know, I just wanted to get a, a better understanding of sort of what's going on in the Pac-12 because, you know, there was a lot of talk before the media rights deal and before Southern Cal and uh, UCLA left about, you know, the whole Pac-12 network and how half the country doesn't even see Pac-12 games even when the teams were good. Um you know, which yeah. I think is a problem. Thanks to Larry Scott. And, yep. And, uh, you know, I, I think there, there's there been talk about them going to Apple TV with the with the Pac-12. Yeah, or, who knows? Or Apple I know, it, TV it's, Plus that's kind or of whatever. Gag. I mean, at what point, are, how are we going to end up watching it? Is it going to be on Apple TV? Is it going to be on Amazon? Am I going to have to... Uh, <laughs> is it going to be on TikTok? Who knows at this point? It, they've entered almost a Tyson zone of... Uh, and using an old sports term of, of when something just gets so weird that the craziest story now, I would probably, I, I would not outright dismiss it when it comes to that meteorites deal. I mean, Nicole Auerbach, uh, he, she, she even wrote like the other day, like, you know, there's no, in what she, cause it was building on this whole San Diego state thing and how they're sort of stuck in this netherland of like, they, they need to get out of the conference. They need to tell the conference and they, they're leaving the Mountain West, but they can't because the, Pac, the Pac-12 still hasn't got their media rights deal, which they need to first get before they can invite San Diego State. I mean, it is just chaos because they still haven't got this media rights deal. And, and Nicole said that it doesn't look like it's going to be coming this month. 
um, which is going to be a huge problem for San Diego State at this rate. So I, I, I'm very curious. I'm wondering if San Diego State's going to have to force itself into going independent for like a month. Um, not officially independent because it would be like a year. It's not like it's not like they give their notice and they're out of the conference. Apparently, the way it works is they it would be their year's notice, but they have to give it before uh, the end of this month. So, I mean, for a hot minute, they would be technically about to become an independent and just kind of cross their fingers and hope they don't turn into another UConn um, where you're out. Well, I mean, none of none of their programs are currently competing in any in any sports, right? Uh, I mean, it, it is the off season for basically every program yeah i think unless it's baseball i don't follow baseball as closely i'm like one of the five people on our mod team who doesn't but i mean yeah it's other than the baseball college world series it's done so realistically if they did do that it probably this would be the best time to do it because it's not like they're announcing you know that they're going to be independent during the middle of a season so it'll be interesting to see what happens i i hope the pac-12 you know can work out a deal with you know a relevant uh network uh, that you can get across the entire united states and not just half of it or not just if you're an apple tv plus subscriber but at the end of the day i guess it's just however much you know the these streaming services are willing to pay for it right so yep Yep, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear college football on the BBC or something like that. <laughs> but but I appreciate this is the BBC you. Uh, World Service and now Stanford versus Cal. <laughs> but I but I appreciate you uh, taking my call, and I'll let somebody else get in here. Absolutely, you know. Um, and and we're kind of coming in on a half hour, but there's a couple of other things I just wanted to mention while we kind of have a second. The beloved uh, Kibby Dome apparently has naming rights now at the University of Idaho. The Kibby Dome is this delightfully strange stadium if you've never seen it it is basically i've seen it in person because again i went to wazoo and, and you, you got to go visit um, moscow idaho across the border to see the university of idaho it is like a small stadium that they built an airplane hangar around it um and so that's what it basically looks like a large airplane hangar it's a beloved stadium for anyone who's played any of the old ncaa football games so they've got it's still going to be called the kibby dome but it's going to have apparently a uh, credit union name but it's it's a funny name. It's like it's going to be called the P one FCU Kibby Dome. Um, it sounds like I, I don't know the P one FCU. So P one Florida Coastal University secure uh, Kibby Dome. Um, that's going to be out there this season. So I just wanted to to note that out there. I mean, one of my favorite jokes on the RCFB group was uh, Brandon nine four one. Hey, uh, wow, Elon Musk's kids are already making big business decisions. So, again, reference to one of uh, the children that he has had. So another thing, and we mentioned it last week, USF has got their stadium basically on track for finally their on-campus stadium finally coming together. Um, Their AD, Mike Kelly, said they're going to, again, as I've said, what I've been really impressed by the UCF stadium process, because it's been happening in the background for like two years, and they've been very consistent about it. They'll just... They'll do an update. They're very deliberate in their timing. They're very kind of doing it the classic, the kind of conservative. I'm not saying, you know, like the slow approach, the, the, the definite approach. So the latest update from their athletic director is they are going to spend the next 10 months focused on getting the design where it needs to be and getting construction ready. And then by this time next year, we hope to be close to ready to start construction which will be a two-year process. So they're basically saying three years from now, you know, 
that would probably be what like uh, bad with math 2026 they're they're hoping to have that stadium up and running an on-campus stadium for usf i always thought that was interesting because they're a huge public university just like you at ucf they used to be kind of similar in a lot of regards and, and treated the same way and you know, in 2007, that insane season, of course, UCF, pardon me, USF was able to climb to be number two in the BCS poll. You told anyone at that point who's going to be in the Big 12 in 10 years, uh, or I should say more like 15 years, you would have guessed it was going to be South Florida. But of course, UCF made a bunch of smart decisions. They built an on-campus stadium. They, uh, they had some good coaching hires, and now they're the team that's making that move. And USF has kind of languished in all that time. And you know, it's not like they have a bad stadium. They play where the, uh, you know, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. But, you know, this is something that they've really wanted. So we're seeing that development starting to bear fruit. But again, it's going to be a few years. One other item that, again, I got a couple more items I want to hit here. Stuart Mandel noticed this when the, when the TV ranking ratings were released. The Stanley Cup final, the final game of Stanley Cup. Uh, the fun fact that he put there is more people in the United States watched the the pinstripe bowl which was minnesota syracuse than the final game of the stanley cup this year so if you ever want to talk about pecking order in college sport pardon me in, in sports in the united states it's funny too because i'm sure a lot of you have friends out of the country who, who think it's really weird that we're that into college sports in the united states and i always tell them like look it's it's I know it sounds weird because your universities, wherever you're at, I'm sure they're fine schools, but they don't really care about sports. And if they do, it might be rowing or something, you know, that that has gone on for centuries versus like Oxford and Cambridge or something. Um, but I'm like, no, it's it's other than like, you know, NFL, uh, you know, NBA and, and, and MLB, you know, college football is pretty popular in the United States. And, you know, hearing that it beat the final game of Stanley Cup. And yes, I acknowledge that it wasn't necessarily an exciting game and everyone expected the beatdown that that occurred. Um, it's still striking, especially to anyone who asks you if you run into that is about the uh, the popularity even of college football in the United States. You know, um, I just saw Yeah Boy Ron join in. So I'm going to go ahead and let you up since you, you know, hit a request and uh, it's been a while. So uh, what's going on? I just wanted to, what's up? Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I'm glad these are back, I just want to say. I, I missed these. But you brought up uh, rowing. I just wanted to let you know that, dude, there are colleges in America that take rowing so freaking hard. When I lived up, Oh, absolutely. When I lived absolutely. up by Boston. I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to diss rowing. That's just like the only serious athletic competition I can even think of. I mean, the boat race between Oxford and and Cambridge like shuts down a section of London every year. And they've been doing that. That's like the original college rivalry um, to the point where I know Harvard. And I think he uh, probably some other bougie school has a rowing race. Sorry. It's Harvard, <laughs> it's Harvard and MIT because when I worked out of Boston, my company hired a lot of people from Harvard and MIT. I was like, so what like sports do you got? Like, did you guys go to the football games? Cause like at Rutgers, we, I would go to the football games. They're like, no, we would like watch the rowing team practice. I was like, what? You watch practice? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they, oh my goodness. They love sailing and, and rowing up there. But yeah, that, that's all I got. But thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. You know, it's funny too because the boat race again is the oldest college college sports rivalry out there, and I think that's why the original the game and I still I mean they still call it that is Harvard Yale and they they borrowed that from the boat race. It's like name it what it is and leave it at that. It's what it says on the box. Um, 
a couple of other just sort of quick notes I want to get to before we kind of slowly sign off. And again, if you want to add to the conversation, please do. You know, Stanford apparently won the Director's Cup again. That is the all sports kind of competition between every sport in an athletic department. It's a big deal for Stanford because Texas had managed, excuse me, to win the last two years, which was a huge, huge upset um, in previous because Stanford had previously won the last 25 years in a row. So again, Texas had, had broken their streak, went back to back, and now Stanford has reclaimed it, apparently. Let's see. We have someone else who wants to join in. Mark Hill, happy to let you up. If you want to join in, Mark, just feel free to love to hear from you. Right. Hey, uh, sorry, I joined in late here. Um, so I, I don't know what all you guys have discussed, but uh, just curious on your thoughts, um, not necessarily on rowing, <laughs> but uh, curious what you think of accidentally withdrawn from the Mountain West. And the mountain, okay, the- it was so funny. The mic died for a second there, and he was like, I was wondering what you think of. Ah, shit, that's what- like, oh. <laughs> Oops, sorry about that. But it was San Diego State. No, no, I cut on you're asking about the San Diego State situation. Sure, no, no. I mean, we talked about it a bit, but basically, um, in that whole situation, it's kind of fascinating because it, it's, it's it's San Diego State was put in a really bad position that they that wasn't entirely their fault, and I don't know what I would have done if I was an administrator in their situation because. Basically, in 2021, it sounds like it was in April 2021, the Mountain West teams all agreed that it, up until January, th- the end of this season, which is January 30th, which is June 30th, Jan- July 1st is historically the beginning of the next um, sports season in college athletics, they would be paying a certain penalty for leaving the conference. And then starting next season, so July 1st, that um, penalty increases by a lot, a significant amount. So they already knew that was happening. Meanwhile, as we know, the Pac-12 has been delaying, delaying, delaying their new media rights deal um, and has been very open about the fact that they want to invite San Diego State and SMU, but they've also said we're not going to invite anybody until we have a new media rights deal. So those two kind of parallel storylines have put San Diego State in a bind. It seems like that the, the Pac-12 isn't going to necessarily have a media rights deal done by the end of this month. San Diego State can't afford the bigger buyout that's going to be coming on the horizon. So they were forced to kind of say, hey, we're thinking about leaving and basically say what everyone has sort of assumed was going to happen. But at the same time, the conference doesn't really want to let them out of any of this, and they've been quite adamant about that. They're not going to give them an additional month uh, to, to depart, they're not going to reduce the exit fee, and they're not going to allow them to pay in installments. Those were some of the requests, the asks that San Diego State was making. Um, so it, that's the situation, and and it, I, I this is all because again, it's inexplicable. I mean, there's probably legitimate reasons why the the Pac-12 really needs this media deal to work as best as possible to keep the members that they have now, um, particularly since the Big Twelve is coveting them. But at the same time, this has put San Diego State in this tight spot where, you know, we were just talking about a little while ago, maybe what their best option to do is just say, look, we're, we'll leave. We'll say we're going independent until the Pac-12 can get their deal together and then, then we'll join them. 
But it, it's it's an awkward situation for them. SMU, as I said, they're the other team that everyone expects a Pac-12 to invite, but they're not in any situation like this. When they need to go, they can just go. Uh, but San Diego State is the one that got just stuck in, in between a rock and a hard place. And that's why that strange situation erupted where they basically told the conference that we're probably going to leave. And they're, at the same time, they're trying to hedge it. <laughs> I mean, I, I sympathize for them. And it's, it's just a, it's a bear of a situation to be in. I mean, San Diego State has been such an antagonistic member of the, of the Mountain West forever. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and I mentioned that, too, because they wanted to leave for the Big East. And I remember Boise State, which was also planning to leave for the Big East, was the one that um, let them help them get back in without causing any more, uh, you know, let, let help them get it back in quietly. Um, right. And, you know, that was many, many years ago. But I mean, that now here it's happening again. And I, again, the sympathy, as you said, the sympathy is not there. They've, they've been antagonistic. They've always coveted leaving. I mean, um, they've got a history of, of sometimes being – and I mean, I don't blame them for this approach, but they were basically like, if USC and UCLA do it one way, that's who we are. We're not, we're not these other teams, you know, in the conference. Yeah. I mean, they, they've just got the Southern California arrogance to them, and which, which is fine, but, uh, yeah, it's bizarre. What, the, the Pac-12 thing is bizarre to me because, again, I don't understand why they don't consider BYU. I think BYU culturally still probably, after all this nonsense, would still probably go to the Pac-12. And they're, they're, they're head and shoulders above San Diego State or, or SMU. It, I'm confused by what the Pac-12 is doing. I, it's funny. I think at this point, BYU is at least happy with the Big 12 for letting them in. <laughs> I, think, I think they're pretty loyal. I That's think fair. they'll be loyal to That's them. I, I, because, that, I mean, after all the nonsense. Cause yeah, you're right. They always wanted to be members of the Pac-12. They would have certainly brought... A lot of of a lot of numbers um, in terms of their their national fan base because of obviously their ties to their church and all of that stuff. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, after all those years of of the BS that they were getting from the Pac-12 members, I could see why the Big 12 they're 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 going to go in and at least give that a couple of years before they would ever sour to it. And I, the other conflict I, is, I, I mean, don't know. I think even today they might consider the Pac-12. I mean, they're the strongest thing the Pac-12 has going for them is Utah, and that then you bring back the holy war in, in a more you know fixed position. You know, maybe, I, but their alumni base is in California. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Those USC Culturally, games they, they had were well attended. I mean, BYU yeah. shows up when they play in the in the Pac-12 for sure. I mean, I don't know how culturally well BYU would actually fit. I mean, let's let's. Let's be honest. The t- the ties with the tr- the how closely related BYU associated, I should say, not related BYU is with uh, the church. Probably is the big reason why. Academically, it's a fine school, so it's definitely not academics. Like Boise State would never get in, probably because of academics. But and historically, a, a and that's like, those are those are the historic arguments. Like before the Pac-12 saw USC and UCLA, there's basically. Everything that happened before, basically a year ago, is almost exactly a year ago, slightly more than a year ago, when John Wilner dropped that tweet that shook all of college foundation, college football to its foundations. But I mean, basically, that was the logic a year ago, and then uh, eleven months ago, it totally changed. So um, now, now I think the Pac-12 will be happy for him. And it's funny how how these situations kind of change, but. You know, the Big 12 said, you know, I choose you and, and they happily have gone along. And I think they're they're hyped for that because suddenly they're 
they're going to be part of a bigger piece of the pie. And uh, they're not, I mean, it's no longer, you know, your grandfather's BYU, which was always locked into the holiday bowl year after year after year, which won't necessarily land with everyone in the audience. But there was a time when that was the only bowl they could get into because that was where the WAC champion went. And they kept, that's the one year they won the national championship was because they, they had to win the holiday bowl because they couldn't get out of that tie-in. And they, they beat a, uh, I believe it was a six-win Michigan team. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I see we got a couple more people. You know what? Why not? It's been a while. Let's let's set some people up. Let's set up Nate, and then we'll get to Cody. Hey, Nate, what's going on? Can you hear me? Hello? Sure can. Yeah, so I kind of want to go back to uh, the earlier conversation you had with the, the Gamecock fan when you guys were just talking about um, – you know, Clemson, Miami, Florida State, realizing that, hey, you know, we can make more money as opposed to sticking around with Wake Forest. I guess, you know, so I'm a, I'm a Longhorn fan, and we got a lot of flack for years with, you know, keeping Longhorn Network because we know we got extra money from that, and that's why, you know, AM wanted to leave. So I, I guess I'm kind of curious, when did this mentality start where schools realized, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of worth a little bit more than this guy next to me, so – why am I sticking around here, right? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think what really, the TV money going up as high as it did. I think the SEC and the Big Ten uh, led that way. Because the Big Ten Network seemed, I mean, the, people don't remember, the Big Ten Network launched, um, it's the year they launched was, of course, the, uh, the App State upset of Michigan. That's how you can always track if you ever forget what year the Big Ten Network launched. But um, that, that suddenly unlocked an enormous sum of money for the Big Ten members. And the SEC has always had very smart leadership at the top of that conference. And they were able to also finagle some great TV rights deals from their tight relationship with ESPN and, and CBS Sports over the years and all of that stuff. So those two things started to push the idea that, wow, there's a lot of money to be made for teams that are, you know, that are valuable market. And, and I agree with what you're saying. Longhorn Network was a real sticking block. As I mentioned, um, that is part of why they seem to not be able to get that, that brief moment where it seemed like the Pac-12 might actually pull them over. It never came to be because of that uneven distribution. Now, Is that I why think, the Big Ten never went after them? You know, I'm not sure. The Big Ten, Sorry the Big Ten has always been very strange. My favorite example of the big 10 was mizzou really wanted to be part of the big 10 like that was an open secret the the mizzou wanted to be a part of the big 10 and then what ends up happening the you know obviously the uh nebraska ends up joining the big 10 uh and then mizzou kind of at that point being left in the lurch the sec was willing to knock on that door and mizzou happily went over along with texas a&m i mean i remember that was that was a really weird couple of years there where, where all these teams were kind of whispering to each other. And for some reason, and, and I guess at that time, the Big Ten was still trying to stay somewhat contiguous with its borders. It never was willing to kind of skip too far. That's, I think, part of the reason why the USC-UCLA thing was so shocking, I think, to, to folks who've um, been paying attention to a lot of those moves over the over the decades because it just was like where did that one you know that that's a that seemed out of character almost for the big 10 at the time because even then when they added maryland when they added um rutgers it was still kind of adding to the eastern border it was it was still one big you know one big kind of block that was still you know for non-revenue sports and other areas still kind of seemed to be cogent in some manner or form now um 
but yeah, once uh, once people saw exactly how much money was being made, I think finally, for example, USC and UCLA said, you know what, this is just not worth it anymore financially for them. Um, UCLA especially felt that because they were desperate for money. They they actually were, have overspent quite a bit, um, and then so you all of this money. Florida State, Clemson, I mean, Clemson, and Florida State, and Miami, and and you know those three have won championships and recent. I mean, Miami, okay, maybe recent memory is a bit of a push, but you know, still, I remember when Miami was a national championship team. They they're looking at all this money coming in, and they're like, the ACC suddenly doesn't look as attractive. They know that they may not be able to leave because, again, of that grant of rights deal that that seems to require almost 120 million dollars to just leave the conference from what. Florida State's own numbers presented at their board meetings seem to say, but at the same time, you know, maybe they can say like, look, things have to change. We have to get a little bit more money out of this. But even then, as I said, the numbers that they would still get still wouldn't surpass the numbers that are going to every member of the SEC or every member of the Big 12, uh, probably the Big 10. Um, I recall, I mean, one of the things that apparently was mentioned at this meeting in in February, that kicked off all of this disgruntled um, ACC talk, was with again there was the uh, AD of Florida State talking to the board of regents there, or the board of trustees again. Forgive me, I always forget what they call them at each school. They said, uh, you know, look, we're going to still work making less money than Vanderbilt every year um, in the way we are now, which for a school like Florida State just sounded outrageous. Yeah, they're frustrated. <laughs> Do you think do you think things like NIL and then, you know, just the size of like athletic um, um, facilities, like, you know, when they recruit on a um, official visits, right? Like maybe that's motivating somebody like Miami who, yeah, sure, they haven't won the national championship in, you know, 23 years or so. But they're still one of the biggest brands and known brands in college football. So do you think maybe something like, you know, NIL and having more money can definitely help get them back to where they want to be? Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's theoretically possible. I mean, USC is the prototype for that. You got a great coach who they were able to get from Oklahoma. They got, you know, uh, Caleb Williams, also from Oklahoma, and a bunch of other star players. And look how far they nearly made it this last season in just one year. They get a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and they get, you know, one loss away from, from probably being embarrassed in the college football playoff, but hell, making the college football playoff. Um, you know, so I think that that proves that that can happen. Um, and and again, that's still under the. They're still in the Pac-12 for that that aspect of it. I mean, all of that, all of those parts came together before they announced they were leaving for the the Big Ten. I mean, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams were already on the team at that point, so they'd already built something that got to where it did. Now, um, so so things like NIL deals, things like you know, uh, facilities certainly benefit that, and the transfer portal has made that something that is that is achievable. Um, but of course, it's an interesting question with, with the way all this is going to develop again. You know, I see we have one other person here who wants to chime in. I see it's actually an old friend of ours, Cody. Let's go ahead and let you up. I know, I believe you're also a USC fan as well. Um, Cody, what's going on? Good. Good, good. Um, so two things. I just wanted to point out. One, I think it's hilarious that USC is playing Georgia Southern in 2025. I think... Obviously, that's the yes. obvious troll job. There, you can't convince me otherwise. They're not scheduling that unless Clay Hilton is there. I mean, there's no, no doubt in my mind. I think that's hilarious. Uh, honestly, though, it's doing a solid for Clay Hilton and Georgia Southern, probably getting a good payout. So, you know, it, it works on both. Yeah, and Georgia Southern's always had that kind of. They're like, I wouldn't say they're. Uh... 
they have a they have that mentality of play anyone anywhere kind of thing, and they've always had that since Irk over there. So, but I think a coach Irk, but I think at the same time, yeah, no, they are absolutely. It's benefit for both, and I get why. If I'm a USC AD, I would I would schedule that because you know it's the G five games are pretty dull. I mean, it's like sometimes I remember I was at a game where USC hosted Idaho, and I remember it was scheduled because it was scheduled when their head coach had was Nick Holt, who was the former. They hired him right out of the USC. Uh, he had, he was the linebacker coach before then, or I think he was a defensive coordinator right before then. But anyway, they poached him out, so they scheduled this game. And then by the time it was played, uh, Holt actually got tired of being a head coach and went right back to USC. <laughs> and uh, but no one, no one went to the like it was it was a not a great attendance for that game. But the hype of that Georgia Southern game, especially if Clay Helton's a return, that's that actually you know you're you're trying to program to get people into the stadium, and people will probably show up to the Coliseum for that. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's going to pack it, but it'll, it'll certainly get more. Than some of the other potential options out there because of that fun storyline. Yeah, honestly, I didn't know that about the Idaho game. That's a good little uh, nugget to have. Um, had no idea. Um, so, yeah, and sometimes I remember Syracuse was a home and home with USC because actually the uh, the athletic or probably I can't remember if it was the athletic director or sports information director, but somebody there had just been taken from USC. So I'm convinced they just kind of got back together and like. Hey, you know, whoever it was, like, I don't know, I forgot the names involved, but it's like there was certainly a pattern there. So sometimes you get those kinds of ideas of like, hey, you know, I know because it means when certainly when you hire somebody to talk to their former, you know, people, make sure I'm sure when they hired Clay Helton, they wanted to make sure like, look, obviously you guys were happy with what you're seeing on the field. Fine. How is he behind the scenes? Like, are there bigger problems that we need to know about? I mean, USC certainly could talk about that when it comes to hiring ADs, right? But uh, you yeah. know, uh, but at the same, but at the same time, uh, you know, I think sometimes you get these these ties that form between people, and it's a small enough profession where many of these folks who are administrators know that I could very well be working with this person um, at another school later on. But yeah, I think it, it creates a more interesting G five matchup than than usual, and hopefully. Helton will still be there by 2025. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, but um, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. So my second question was going to be: it's not more; it's more of a thought. I mean, it is question two, just because I remember. I mean, maybe when I was younger, growing up as a teenager, you know, I love college football, I love USC. I always thought, why wouldn't USC go the independent route? Uh, I always thought they could. I thought me personally, USC could have handled it. I I think they have the finances for it. Obviously, they're not hurting for money. Yeah, I think they would have done well doing their own TV network. I, I'm curious what you think, why USC never really, maybe they did explore it. I never really saw anything them maybe looking into it. Why they never went independent, like kind of like no game did. Yeah. I think it's, it's a lot harder to go independent than I think most people realize. For example, um, I, if you ever look back in the, you know, the, the eighties and look at some of the conference layouts, you know, and go to Wikipedia or something, cause those guys have apparently made pages for every college football season, go to like 1978 or 1985 or whatever. And look at how many independent teams there are. Like when Penn state was an independent team, cause that Penn state was able to put together a solid schedule and, and compete for national championships and things like that. But at a certain point, it just becomes more, economics just seem to work better to be a uh, in a conference. And I guarantee you there have been teams that have tried to crunch those numbers. I'm sure there have been 
Board of Regent members of various schools have said, like, can't we just go independent? Can't we just make it work? And the numbers just don't seem to hash that out. Notre Dame has always been kind of its own special angel. And I think time has helped it there. I think being independent for so long has benefited it there. Um, most teams don't like going independent. We, Of course, most of the reference points we have are G5 teams. Like Liberty was independent for the longest time. They actually were all, they were given an exception to the rules. The NCAA says you can only move up to D1, uh, pardon me, to FBS if you have a conference you can land in. But Liberty, with the, all the baggage they have, they couldn't find a conference, so finally the, the NCAA said, we'll get, grant you an exception because I think the undertone was we were gonna, there was going to be a lawsuit involved. So uh, Liberty was up, and now obviously they're in a conference, and they're happily in one right now. Um, but UConn's a great example. UConn lo would love to be in a conference right now. and the, They famously left their conference thinking they would get into a, a bigger conference, and they didn't. So they've been kind of stuck in this nether, this nether region. And part of the reason why it's, it's hard to be an independent is just scheduling, quite frankly. At the, granted, an FBS program or an equivalent like a USC could probably easily put together a schedule that would be pretty decent, um, picking out you know, home and homes with, with other uh, equivalent, you know, sort of higher-end P5 teams and, and some G5 teams, but then also filling in gaps with some other programs. But it's a lot more difficult than it sounds, and there's a certain amount, especially uh, uh, with with other sports, of having that built-in schedule with your conference mates. Now, of course, if USC had gone independent, who knows? Then maybe the rest of their sports would have joined the WAC or some equivalent. You know, that that that's certainly not without precedent. I mean, that's what um, BYU did when they finally went independent. You know, they put all their sports in another conference, but. Um, I think for a lot of schools, that's difficult. I mean, BYU, actually, hell, they're a great example. They were independent for all those years, and they happily were able to finally join the Big 12. I think it's while being independent has its benefits, I don't think ultimately at the end of the day the money just doesn't work. And Notre Dame is probably the only school that makes it makes it work. I don't know if it can be repeated. I, I, I just don't. I don't think – you know, Texas would have been a great example. They could have – they, I mean, they were able to get the Longhorn Network going for all those years, and even that kind of petered out to the point where, again, the SEC was just a, a better better thing for them. They, they are now in that conference. They were willing to, to make it work there. So I think that they're probably the primest example because as much as – you know, USC is a big program. I mean, I'm an alumnus of the school, so I, I, I think of them quite highly – I think Texas is probably the biggest example of a public school that could have gone independent, but the numbers just don't work there. And I think they're very smart people at the University of Texas. They know exactly how to maximize the dollars they're getting. And it, it just it, the, what made sense for them is to eventually be in the SEC. So I'm going to I think to some extent, my answer is is deferring to the knowledge that is guiding some of these athletic departments because they've got people we're being paid a lot of money to figure out what the, the best, how to make the most money out of how they can. And, and independence just doesn't seem to work. Now, see, oh, one last thing, and I'm sorry, I know I said I had two, but I one uh, thought just came into my head. Um, so I saw, I was looking through my old pictures and I saw an old screenshot I took of two years ago. It was Colin Coward saying rumors about USC going to the big 12, I mean the big 10. And so my, my thing is like, how is, how was this able to, be kept under the table for so long obviously this was probably years in the making um but how there was no leaks nothing like i i was shocked as anyone else when i saw the news i was not ready for us to join the big 10 i'm excited but it was a shock 
how do you how do you think they were able to keep it so hush hush for so long? You know, there have been a couple of of articles written about this. I think you know, Colin Coward he uh, he certainly likes to 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 throw some wild rumors out there. Although I don't know if if he was necessarily on the right path there with this the one. It seems to be finds a nut every once in a while. Exactly, exactly, and I think that was that was more like a broken clock kind of situation, you know, because I think that I think. I don't think he was on the trail of this particular what what ended up leading up to this situation because by all accounts it started to come together quite quickly and Kevin Warren the, the who's no longer obviously in the Big Ten because he, he got tired of him went back to the NFL he they got him from the NFL and he to the NFL he returned um, but he was the one who I think who was able to lead that and I think there were a couple of things that came together what it seems like is the Pac-12 started to get the initial estimates of what their payouts were going to be in an upcoming media deal, the one that they're trying to negotiate right now. Those numbers in uh, 2022, uh, late, uh, probably early 2022, were uh, reaching the powers that be at those two programs. And they just finally said, this isn't making any financial sense. Some way they were able to reach out to the Big Ten. I mean, a lot of this stuff has always been done kind of quietly, you know, to make sure no one embarrasses one side or the other. And by the end, they were able to, I think a few people knew about it and they were able to keep it quiet enough that once they had everything in place, they were able to go where they were. And I, again, Colin Coward, I don't think was one of the people that was in on that. There were a few random tweets that did seem to have, there was some guy in Minnesota who apparently tweeted that it was about to happen like a day or two before John Wilner dropped it. And that one actually seemed a little closer, like, oh, he might have accidentally heard something, like through a friend who was maybe having a in Minnesota or something of that nature. But as far as it's one of those great moments in just like how did they, uh, keeping something that big, that quiet is just remarkable. Because right now what we're watching with the rest of the Pac-12 trying to sign a media deal, every few weeks it seems like another president of the, one of those universities says something that ends up not being true. Like, oh, we're about to sign a media deal. Oh, we're not. Oh, we're this. Oh, we're going to be on Apple TV. Oh, we're going to be on that. And and we're still not sure what's going on there, which, as we've been kind of repeating many times this particular show, is put San Diego State in a really awkward situation because they need to get out of their conference before they have to pay like triple the amount to leave at the end of this month. But, wow, this has been a – this was like going back to an in-season show. It was – that was one hour so, folks, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. Normally, these off-season shows go for 30 minutes, but we had so many people coming in. It was a pleasure to talk to all of you. My name is Bob Akairi. This was our CFB Talk 144. We do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, where I am out here in the lovely state of Minnesota. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to you next week or anytime you get a chance to listen or join us in the conversation. We always appreciate it. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.